Business is battle. On Business Wars, we learn what it takes to win by looking closely at ambitious battles like the one in our latest series, WWF versus WCW. And our new book, The Art of Business Wars, gets to the very heart of each conflict, unearthing all the valuable lessons. Go to Wondery.com slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. Join Wondery Plus to listen to Business Wars one week early and ad-free in the Wondery app. Download the Wondery app in your Apple or Google Play mobile app store today. A listener note. In the years since we aired the bruising battle between the World Wrestling Federation and World Championship Wrestling, there's been a shakeup in the ring. For starters, there's a new heavyweight, All Elite Wrestling, and it's found a familiar home on cable television, TNT. The new contender is edgier, more realistic, has a billionaire backer, and is drawing in a younger audience, much like its predecessor WCW once did. That's why we thought it was time to revisit this Business Wars season, to see the many similarities and the striking differences between these two epic industry smackdowns. It's June 1982, and Vince McMahon is in a suite at the plush Warwick Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. He's 36 years old with a pompadour hairdo, and he's here to make the deal of his life. A deal with his 67-year-old dad, Vincent McMahon Sr. Vince opens his briefcase and pulls out multiple copies of the contract that will give his company Titan Sports control of the World Wrestling Federation. Back in 1954, Vincent Sr. founded the organization that would ultimately become the WWF. Now, he's ready to retire. The WWF is one of 30 regional wrestling organizations operating in the United States and Canada. Each controls their own slice of territory, and they all stay out of each other's way. The WWF owns the northeastern U.S., one of the most lucrative territories of all. Vincent stares at the contracts on the coffee table. He never wanted his son to follow him into the wrestling business. He hoped Vince would forge a career outside that rough-and-tumble world. But his son is obsessed with wrestling, and nothing will deter him from pursuing his dream. Not the WWF's million-dollar price tag, nor the clause in the contract that will return control of WWF to his dad if he fails to pay every installment on time. Vincent flips through the contract and points to that paragraph. Son, you do understand that you will lose everything if you miss just one payment, right? Vince nods. I do, Dad, and I'm fine with it. Vincent sighs and reluctantly signs each copy of the contract. Vince leaps to his feet, grinning. It's time to celebrate. As Vince leaves to get wasted in the hotel bar, Vincent shakes his head. He knows his son is funding the buyout of the WWF with shaky loans secured against future cash flow. He's certain that Vince will lose everything. But what Vincent doesn't know is that his son has big, big plans. Vince isn't going to be just another regional wrestling promoter like his pa. Oh, no. Vince plans to turn the WWF into the biggest wrestling company 
the world has ever seen. But to do it, he must declare war on the regional promotions that have ruled wrestling for decades. And he's going to attack his rivals so unrelentingly that they never get a chance to strike back. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondering, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In our new series, WWF vs. WCW, we're looking behind the curtain into the world of pro wrestling. Today, wrestling is dominated by one hulking giant, WWE, a billion-dollar media empire notorious for the outrageous antics of its world-famous sports entertainers. But it wasn't always that way. Wrestling began as a CD carnival show masquerading as a sport. But after the Second World War, it morphed into a business controlled by regional promoters who worked together under the banner of the National Wrestling Alliance. As long as each wrestling organization operated in their lane, there was peace. But now, it's the 1980s, and Vince McMahon is out to shatter that peace. He's about to start a business war as action-packed and full of twists as any wrestling show. But unlike their wrestling matches, this war will not be staged. It will pit the World Wrestling Federation against World Championship Wrestling in a title match that will see wrestling catapulted from small time to billion dollar glory. This is episode one, Titan Rising. It's September 1983 and Vince McMahon's eating an enormous steak in the Tenderloin Room of the Chase Hotel in St. Louis. He's wearing an eye-catching bright red suit, and his dining companion is Ted Coppler. Coppler owns the St. Louis TV station, KPLR, and McMahon has come to him with a proposition. Ted, you should ditch the St. Louis Wrestling Club. Let the WWF produce wrestling at the Chase for you instead. Coppler raises an eyebrow. 
KPLR has been taping wrestling at the Chase from the Chase Hotel since 1959. It's one of his station's highest-rated shows. And why would I want to do that, Vince? Because our shows kick ass. The WWF is the future of wrestling. We're giving people what they really want. The biggest wrestling stars, stories that make fans go wild, and action that doesn't just stay in the ring. You see, Ted, I want wrestling to appeal to everyone. I'm going to take wrestling beyond the chain-smoking old ladies and the drunken roughnecks. I'm going to make it entertainment for all the family. Coppler hesitates. He likes what McMahon is pitching, but most KPLR viewers have never heard of the WWF. Vince, uh, people here love the St. Louis wrestlers. Handing over production of wrestling at the chase to the WWF, uh, that's a little risky for us. Ted, once your viewers get a load of our wrestlers, I guarantee they'll forget the St. Louis guys. We've got Andre the Giant. (laughs) What's St. Louis got? Copper's got no answer for that. Andre the Giant is a man of freak show proportions. He's a seven-foot-four Frenchman who weighs 540 pounds. Next to him, every other wrestler looks tiny. Sensing Coppler's resistance is waning, McMahon goes in for the kill. Also, we'll pay you $2,000 an episode and a cut of the ticket sales from the WWF's live events in St. Louis. Coppler almost chokes on his steak. He's been paying the St. Louis Wrestling Club $1,500 an episode. Typically, television companies pay the wrestling promoters to make the show and then keep the lion's share of the ad revenue. You're going to pay us? Well, all right then. It's another victory for McMahon. Since buying the WWF, he's been racking up the air miles, striking similar deals, pushing rivals off the air across the country to make room for the WWF's syndicated TV show. And with each new TV deal, the WWF gains another foothold in territory controlled by rival wrestling companies. And this boosts WWF's earnings from ticket sales for its live events and TV ads. But to really dominate wrestling, WWF needs a national TV presence. And to get that, McMahon has his sights set on cable TV. Trouble is, his rivals have already locked up the top two cable channels. Ted Turner's TBS is airing Georgia Championship Wrestling, while the USA Network is broadcasting San Antonio's Southwest Championship Wrestling. What McMahon needs is a way to muscle in. It's October 1983, and in New York City, the USA Network's executive team are seated in the conference room. At the head of the table, dressed in a light blue power suit, is Kay Koplovitz. She's the company's blonde-haired CEO and founder. And she's just been told that last night's broadcast of Southwest Championship Wrestling sparked a barrage of complaints. What have they done now? Well, they, um, the wrestlers uh, hurled pig manure at each other. Koplovitz scowls. Pig manure? What the... Never mind. Leave it with me. I'll deal with them. Koplovitz returns to her office, ready to chew out Southwest Championship Wrestling over its latest dumb move. But before she can call them, her phone rings. It's Jim Troy, Senior Vice President of Titan Sports, the company that owns WWF. 
Vince McMahon asked me to give you a call. Uh, he just heard about your trouble with Southwest Championship Wrestling, and uh, uh, we think we can help. How so? Uh, what they did last night was gross. It's everything that's wrong with wrestling. Go on. If you give Southwest primetime slot to WWF, we'll give you a wrestling show that's PG-rated and better produced. No more poorly lit studio shoots, no more blood, and no more pig excrement. It'll be wrestling for the whole family. Koplovitz bites. She dumps Southwest Championship Wrestling. On December 5, 1983, WWF's All-American Wrestling Show debuts on the USA Network. In one fell swoop, Vince McMahon has made WWF available in the 24 million homes that subscribe to the USA Network. What he needs now is a wrestling star who can get all those homes watching. It's December 1983, and Vern Gagne, the owner of the American Wrestling Association, is in his Minneapolis office, checking the morning mail. Like other wrestling promoters, Gagne has been watching the WWF's advance warily. But he's not threatened. His territory stretches over huge swaths of the Midwest, and he's got some of wrestling's biggest stars on his roster. Like Hulk Hogan, a six-foot-seven mountain of muscle with receding long blonde hair, a handlebar mustache, and a tan so deep he's got the skin tone of a hot dog. American Wrestling Association fans love Hogan's over-the-top performances and his signature move, the leg drop, where he leaps into the air and brings his leg down hard on his opponent's throat. But he's also got mainstream notoriety, thanks to his role in Rocky III. In his mail, Gagne finds a curt telegram from Hogan. It reads, I'm not coming back. Gagne thinks this has got to be a prank, but he soon realizes that Hogan's really gone. Hogan's been frustrated with Gagne for some time. Despite Hogan's popularity, Gagne refuses to script a show where Hogan gets to be champion because he doesn't believe the wrestler's technical abilities reach that level. So McMahon has lured Hogan away with the promise that he'll be crowned the WWF's champion. McMahon plans to make Hogan a megastar. It's January 1984, and Madison Square Garden is shaking to the roar of more than 20,000 wrestling fans. They're here to see Hogan take on the current WWF champion, Iranian wrestler, the Iron Sheik. As the Iron Sheik struts around the ring wearing an Arabian keffiyeh headdress and the title belt, the fans boo and hiss. Memories of the Iran hostage crisis are still fresh in their minds, and they're desperate to see an American hero beat him down. The arena screens cut to show Hogan limbering up backstage. He's dressed in yellow trunks and a tight red vest emblazoned with the words, American made. Hogan crosses himself and stomps toward the ring. As he enters the arena, the fans go wild. There he is, Hulkamania, the Hulk. Coming down the hallway, pumped 
up ready for this confrontation. He is enormous. The fans are on their feet, pandemonium, here in Madison Square Garden. Hogan climbs into the ring, tears off his red vest, flings it into the stands, and strikes a pose, pointing his arms skyward at a 45-degree angle for the cheering crowd. The showdown begins. Hogan quickly establishes dominance, flinging the Iron Sheik around the ring and slamming him hard onto the mat. But then, the tables turn. The Iron Sheik stages a comeback, knocking Hogan to the floor before jumping on his back and locking him in a seemingly unbreakable hole. Then, to the crowd's delight, the Hulkster breaks free. After some exaggerated stumbling around the ring, Hogan kicks the Sheik to the floor, and to finish him off, Hogan leaps into the air and slams his right leg down on the Sheik's chest. The frenzied crowd is overjoyed. Hulkamania has begun. Soon, Hogan is turning up everywhere, urging people to train, to say their prayers, and to eat their vitamins. He's on Saturday Night Live. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's starring in the A-Team. Using Hogan's celebrity status, WWF starts building a lucrative merchandising business that spawns Hulk Hogan action figures, workout sets, vitamins and clothes, and even a cartoon series. And as Hogan's star rises, so does WWF's. Soon, WWF is a pop culture sensation with MTV specials and A-list celebrity fans including Mr. T, Cindy Lauper, and even Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol, your impressions of what took place earlier on here. Oh, I'm speechless. Well, you've got to be. I mean, so many. I mean, I saw jaws drop to the to the floor. Uh, it's just so exciting. I just don't know what to say. Have you Have you ever seen such total bedlam and pandemonium in your entire life? Never. Your impressions of the Hulkamania is shredding the competition. Next to the colorful, outrageous world of WWF, wrestling's old guard looks stale. They watch in horror as WWF steals their TV audiences, ticket sales, and top wrestlers. And Vince McMahon's Blitzkrieg isn't over yet. It's April 1984, and McMahon is in the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium in Georgia, watching an Atlanta Braves baseball game. Sitting next to him is Ted Turner, the brash multimillionaire owner of the Braves and founder of Turner Broadcasting, the cable TV giant behind national cable network TBS. A few days ago, McMahon made a shrewd move. He bought out Georgia Championship Wrestling. By doing that, he got control of the two primetime wrestling shows it makes for TBS. So now, Turner and McMahon are getting to know each other a little better. Turner's excited about the takeover. He loves wrestling and believes McMahon could boost the ratings of TBS's World Championship Wrestling Show. But Turner wants to be sure WWF will deliver. So, as the Braves score another strike, he turns to McMahon. Vince, my viewers want to see the wrestlers they know. I don't want to repackage footage from WWF's other TV shows on my network. McMahon leans over to Turner. Ted, I want this relationship to work for both of us. Turner 
gives McMahon a broad smile. He believes he can trust him. It's December 1984, and WWF is riding high. Its rivals are in disarray. Hulkamania is bigger than ever. And WWF's wacky wrestling talk show, Tuesday Night Titans, is the highest-rated show on cable TV. But McMahon's ambitions are only getting bigger. Just hours after returning from a Caribbean vacation, he summons his top team to a meeting in Titan Sports' headquarters in Greenwich, Connecticut. I was lying on the beach, and this idea popped into my head. WrestleMania, the Super Bowl of wrestling. It'll be an extravaganza. It'll have the biggest wrestlers, celebrity guests, rock stars, the works. We'll sell tickets for the show and telecast it live in movie theaters. It'll make millions. The team exchanged concerned looks. One of the finance team pipes up. Uh, I'm not sure we can afford that, Vince. We're still renting typewriters because the cash flow's so tight. What you're talking about will cost a fortune. Uh, renting movie theaters, paying celebrities. I mean, if this thing bombs, it'll take down the whole business. But McMahon's heart is set on WrestleMania. And he's a heart-over-head kind of guy. It's going to work, so we're doing it. I want it to happen at the end of March before the seasonal drop-off in ticket sales for our live shows. I bet it'll boost ticket sales over the summer. The team gulps. They've got three months to deliver and promote the biggest wrestling show ever made. A show that will either see WWF become the king of the ring or brought to its knees. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's early 1985. And in Turner Broadcasting's New York office, Vince McMahon and Ted Turner are tearing into each other. Vince, you promised me a wrestling show filmed in Atlanta. Instead, you're giving my network secondhand garbage that you've already shown on the USA Network and local TV. I'm telling you, this is bullcrap. Turner's frustration has been building for months, so he's lined up Mid-South Wrestling to replace WWF on his network. 
McMahon knows this, but he's not letting Turner push him around. What's unacceptable is your refusal to share any advertising revenue with us. Every other TV network I work with, including USA, gives me a cut of the ad money. You should, too. We pay you to make the show. The ad money is ours, I'm telling you. I want you off my network, and if I have to sue to get rid of you, I will. McMahon glares at Turner, boiling with rage. A legal showdown with Turner is the last thing he needs. WrestleMania is draining his company coffers fast. Tickets for the wrestling spectacular aren't selling. And if things don't change soon, well, Titan Sports could go under. McMahon wants to throw the TV mogul out the window, but instead, he leaps to his feet and storms out. But he knows Georgia Championship Wrestling is worthless to him without its shows on Turner's network. So, he decides to sell the business before Turner can kick him off the air. The buyer is North Carolina's Jim Crockett Promotions. The price? One million dollars. McMahon walks away without a loss and enough cash to buy him some time. It's March 27, 1985, and WrestleMania is four days away. In a desperate bid to boost ticket sales, Hulk Hogan appears on the cable TV talk show, Hot Properties. Okay, we're back with the only, only, I was going to say one and only, with the one and only Mr. T and me, Mr. B. So let's take some calls. Hello, you're on the air. Midway through the interview, host Richard Belzer urges Hogan to put him in a wrestling hold. Reluctantly, Hogan obliges. He wraps his thick arm around the skinny host's neck, putting him into a front chin lock. Seconds later, Belzer's body goes limp. Panicked, Hogan releases the lock and Belzer falls, smashing his head onto the hard studio floor. Hogan stares down at the unconscious chat show host. He's waking up now. That was a serious right, for a lot of people. A dazed Belzer climbs to his feet. There's blood gushing from the back of his head, and he has to be rushed to the hospital midway through the live show. The next day, the story is all over the news. And it's just the publicity boost WrestleMania needs. It's March 31st, 1985, and backstage at Madison Square Garden, an ecstatic Vince McMahon looks out onto a packed house. 19,000 eager fans all waiting for WrestleMania to start. The Belzer incident created a last-minute rush for tickets to see McMahon's wrestling Super Bowl. The movie theaters broadcasting WrestleMania Live are packed as well. Across the nation, tens of thousands of excited fans are in their seats waiting to see wrestlers like Hogan and Andre the Giant rub shoulders with celebrity guests Muhammad Ali, Mr. T, and Liberace. WrestleMania grosses $4 million that night alone, a previously unimaginable sum for a wrestling show. A year later, WrestleMania returns as a three-hour event taking place in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. It's also a chance for WWF to venture into the brand new world of pay-per-view TV. At the time, only 2.5 million homes have access to pay-per-view television, but 100,000 of those households pay $15 to watch WrestleMania 2 live. 
By the time WrestleMania 3 rolls around in March 1987, 10 million homes are wired for pay-per-view, and WrestleMania 3 grosses more than $10 million from pay-per-view alone. And those millions have not gone unnoticed in the new Dallas headquarters of Jim Crockett Promotions. Since buying Georgia Championship Wrestling, Jim Crockett's been moving fast. He's bought out most of the wrestling promotions in the South. Now, he's announced his plan to put his annual Thanksgiving wrestling show, Starcade, on pay-per-view TV. Just days later, a worried aide bursts into Crockett's office. Jim, the WWF's doing a new pay-per-view called Survivor Series. It's going to air at the same time as Starcade. Crockett sinks into his office chair and curses. He knows he can't go head-to-head with WWF. All right, here's what we do. We move Starcade from Thanksgiving evening to the afternoon. But McMahon isn't letting Crockett escape that easy. After learning of Starcade's time change, he orders his team to tell every cable operator in America that if they run Crockett's pay-per-view, they won't get Survivor Series or next year's WrestleMania. Cable operators drop Starcade like a hot potato. By Thanksgiving, just five cable operators are offering Crockett's pay-per-view. The event earns Crockett a piddling $80,000. In comparison, WWF's Survivor Series grosses more than five million bucks. In January 1988, Crockett returns with another pay-per-view. But once again, McMahon kicks the legs out from under him with Royal Rumble, a free TV special broadcast at the same time on the USA Network. More than three million wrestling fans decide to watch WWF's show rather than shell out money for Crockett's pay-per-view. Fuming, Crockett tries giving McMahon a taste of his own medicine. He announces a free TV special on Turner's TBS network that will air at the same time as WrestleMania 4. But all that does is anger cable operators who feel Crockett's trying to reduce their earnings from WrestleMania. Then, in April 1988, Crockett's accountant delivers a knockout blow. He tells Crockett that his wrestling promotion's out of cash. He's looking at bankruptcy. Crockett's got no choice but to sell his southern wrestling empire. It's November 1988, and Vince McMahon is in his office in Titan Towers, WWF's new glass-fronted headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. He's sifting through his team's initial ideas for next year's WrestleMania when his phone rings. He picks up and hears a familiar voice. Hey, Vince, Ted Turner here. I just uh, thought you should know I'm, uh, I'm in the wrestling business now. I just bought out Jim Crockett, okay? Well, I'll, uh, I'll be seeing you around. McMahon stares at his phone in shock. Until now, he's never worried about the competition. He always regarded the old-school wrestling promoters as lazy and short-sighted, easy prey. But Turner Broadcasting's purchase of Crockett's empire is a game-changer. McMahon is now up against a wrestling promotion owned by a multi-billion dollar cable TV network, a rival with guaranteed airtime and near-endless financial resources. 
a rival owned by a powerful man, McMahon, once crossed. The WWF is about to face its most fearsome challenger yet. On the next episode, scandal engulfs the WWF. A gun-toting cowboy arrives in CNN Center and wrestling infiltrates Disney World. From Wondery, this is episode one of WWF versus WCW for Business Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Follow Business Wars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. And tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Donna Hyams edited this story, produced by Emily Frost. Voice acting by Michelle Philippi. Kate Young is our associate producer. Our producer is Dave Schilling. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondery. For over 100 years, General Motors was America's automaker. But after the 2008 financial crisis, the storied car company nearly died. Hi, I'm Lindsey Graham, host of Wondery Show, Business Movers. We tell the true stories of business leaders who risked it all, the critical moments that define their journey, and the ideas that transform the way we live our lives. In our latest series, an HR executive named Mary Barra rises to become General Motors' first female CEO, just in time to save the company from ruin. But as Mary fights to lead General Motors into the future, tragedy strikes. Listen to General Motors Back from the Dead from Business Movers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or the Wondery app. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.